Section twelve of Twain and Howells on each other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter eleven. From our joint experience in failing, I argue that Clemens' affection for me must have been great to enable him to condone in me the final defection which was apt to be the end of our enterprises. I have fancied that I presented to him a surface of such entire trustworthiness that he could not imagine the depths of unreliability beneath it, and that, never realizing it, he always broke through with fresh surprise but unimpaired faith. He liked, beyond all things, to push an affair to the bitter end, and the end was never too bitter unless it brought grief or harm to another. Once in a telegraph office at a railway station he was treated with such insolent neglect by the young lady in charge, who was preoccupied in a flirtation with a gentleman friend, that emulous of the public spirit which he admired in the English, he told her he should report her to her superiors, and, probably to her astonishment, he did so. He went back to Hartford, and in due time the poor girl came to me in terror and in tears, for I had abetted Clemens in his action, and had joined my name to his in his appeal to the authorities. She was threatened with dismissal unless she made full apology to him and brought back assurance of its acceptance. I felt able to give this, and, of course, he eagerly approved. I think he telegraphed his approval. Another time, some years afterward, we sat down together in places near the end of a car, and a brakeman came in looking for his official notebook. Clemens found that he had sat down upon it and handed it to him. The man scolded him very abusively, and came back again and again, still scolding him for having no more sense than to sit down on a notebook. The patience of Clemens in bearing it was so angelic that I saw fit to comment, I suppose you will report this fellow. Yes, he answered slowly and sadly, that's what I should have done once, but now I remember that he gets twenty dollars a month. Nothing could have been wiser, nothing tenderer, and his humanity was not for humanity alone. He abhorred the dull and savage joy of the sportsman in a lucky shot, an unerring aim, and once, when I met him in the country, he had just been sickened by the success of a gunner in bringing down a blackbird, and he described the poor stricken glossy thing, how it lay throbbing its life out on the grass, with such pity as he might have given a wounded child. I find this a fit place to say that his mind and soul were with those who do the hard work of the world, in fear of those who give them a chance for their livelihoods and underpay them all they can. He never went so far in socialism as I have gone, if he went that way at all, but he was fascinated with looking backward and had Bellamy to visit him and from the first he had a luminous vision of organized labor as the only present help for working men. He would show that side with such clearness and such force that you could not say anything in hopeful contradiction. He saw with that relentless insight of his 
that with unions was the workingman's only present hope of standing up like a man against money and the power of it there was a time when i was afraid that his eyes were a little holden from the truth but in the very last talk i heard from him i found that i was wrong and that this great humorist was as great a humanist as ever i wish that all the workfolk could know this and could know him their friend in life as he was in literature as he was in such glorious gospel of equality as the connecticut yankee in king arthur's court End of chapter 11